Okay? I'm glad you're here. Um, with, uh, with Tisha B'Av uh, around the corner, um, the 9th of Av, I, I want to discuss uh, a bunch of things um, and uh, kind of zero in on, really I want to talk about more about um, Shabbos and, and creation. And uh, I'll tell you, my, my thought process is that, you see, sometimes, um, see, the nature of pain is, is that it makes people um, think uh, very narrowly. And uh, this, is, this is normal. And uh, like, for instance, I, I know this in my own life, but I think everyone can relate to this. If you like, for instance, um, sprain your neck or maybe you sleep in, in the wrong way and you have like a, a muscle spasm so that it, it hurts when you turn your neck or something like that. That's, or you can fill in the blank, whatever, whatever real ache or pain that, that you can live with. Maybe it's something arthritic or, or something like this. That um, it, it gives you much less patience and you become much more irritable. This is just, just human nature. And, you know, every time you turn, it, it gives you actual pain. And you, you just, you, you, things annoy you faster. And all of these things. And so, so what happens is one, one loses the larger perspective of things. And it's a natural cause and effect. Um, and so, so Tisha B'Av, which is the most painful day in the, in the year for us, because it, it, uh, it I, don't want say, I don't like the word commemorates, because it's more than that, but it's the headquarters of basically all of this sadness that's, 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 that's taken place up until now. But more importantly, perhaps, it's also the headquarters for all of the pain that we're currently experiencing. And really, I have to double-check the, the name on this, but I believe it was Yehuda Hanasi. Um, it's in, this is uh, brought down in Sichos Musser by Rav Chaim Shmulevitz. And he, in, in trying to describe the, the, the relevance, to say the least, of Tisha B'Av today, um, he brings this account from, from this great sage, again, I believe it was Yehuda Hanasi, who had a common wall, who had a, shared a, a wall. Um, uh, behind this wall lived a widow who lost her husband, and she would cry and, and scream and, and wail because she was so devastated by, by, by the loss. And, uh, and so the, the sage on the other side of the wall would, would hear her cries, and he would cry and, and just cry his eyes out. And his students at a certain point said to him, listen, you know, you, you're like, all right, I understand that you, you feel sympathy for, you, for her, but at the same time, it's almost debilitating the, the, the degree to which you're experiencing her sadness. And he, he explained that, no, you don't understand. That, that's a dimension of it, her sadness, but I'm really crying over the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash, because that 
that is the state of exile which caused her tragedy. And so I'm causing for the greater, for the, for the source of all tragedy, which is the root of all of the tragedies that we're experiencing. And so when one has that perspective on Tisha B'Av, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've sat in, in shuls or heard rabbis say, and they apologize for Tisha B'Av. And they say, well, it's probably very hard to relate to an event that happened, you know, thousands of years ago or that. And I always like, I, I, my stomach always turns when I, when I hear them say this because it's like, it's right now. <laughs> it's right now. Why, why are you even presenting this as an historic event? It's not a historic event. It's right now. That's the point. The point is we're crying over the exile right now. That's the point. All the brokenness in the world right now, all the sadness in the world right now. So, so, so we experience this sadness and we get so focused on this that sometimes we lose the larger perspective, and that's, as I began, the nature of pain is that it limits our, our perspective. And so, so I told you I wanted to discuss Shabbos, and, and I do, but we have to build to it. So I want to just make a point about the apocalypse. And you'll see, you'll, you'll see what I mean by this. Because in terms of um, an apocalyptic event, for our people, certainly the destruction of the holy temples, and all of you know, but I'll, I'll recount it anyway, that the Beis HaMikdash, the first holy temple, was destroyed on the 9th of Av, <clears throat> hundreds of years later. The second holy temple, the second Beis HaMikdash, was also destroyed on the 9th of Av. Amazingly, the, the Spanish Inquisition was ordered on the 9th of Av, you know, which is incredible. Um, cartloads of Talmuds, were were burnt on the on the ninth of Av by 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 King Louis in France, and just, we'll just take a quick moment to to go over that. The Talmuds at that point were handwritten, okay, so very hard to write. Basically, all of the French Talmuds were all piled up and burnt by this man named King Louis, who was sainted. All right, they then call him, if you've heard of St. Louis, which everyone has heard of, the place St. Louis, it's named after this man who basically eradicated French learning. Now, if you understand, it, Rashi was French. Rashi, our, our greatest commentator, was French. Did you ever ask yourself, where are all the great French commentators after Rashi? Like... That should have been the beginning, like France really should be the headquarters of the greatest Torah learning for hundreds and hundreds of years. should all be in France. I mean, it should all be on the heels of Rashi. Where did it all go? Well, it's hard to learn where there no, there's no books left. So that was the great gift of, quote-unquote, St. Louis. That was on Tisha B'Av. And then, again... It's like it's hard for the mind to, to fathom this. World War I started on Tisha B'Av. 
And, and any historian will tell you that World War II was a direct result of World War I. It was a direct line, one to the other. And of course, World War II is the Holocaust. So all of this is contained within Tisha B'Av. So, so if there is an apocalyptic energy, it, it really is this, this day. But what, what I want to make is, is, is a bigger point. Because when, you see, first of all, you have to understand there's a, a very important claw, a very important foundation, which we have, which is that all of the positive prophecies have to come true. None of the negative prophecies have to come true. Meaning to say that if we're on the level, none of the negative things have to happen, but all the positive things do have to happen. Okay? So, so, so the, the end of days, the completion of history, and this is really the idea of Shabbos, but we'll, we'll build to it in a moment, because the, the, the end of days, the perfection of the world is, is, is called the great Shabbos. And if you... If you just look at the, the, what the Torah says about the, the beginning of the world, we know that, that everything is leading up to that first Shabbos. And that that's a microcosm of the entire history of the world. So everything culminates in Shabbos. And so the end of days is referred to as Yom Shekulo Shabbos, the day that will be all Shabbos. And, and that's what we're building toward. But again, the nature of pain is to limit our vision and to, to sort of just narrow our focus. And so when you hear something like the apocalypse, which is a great war, that's an English word, but it's, we call it Golgu Magog, which is the, 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 this great war that will have this you know, absolutely devastating effect on the world. But, but then it says, after that, we enter into the messianic era. So, so in journalism, a lot of times we, there's a phrase called burying the lead. Burying the lead is when you've got like the big headline, but it appears in paragraph number five, right? Like why, that's called burying the lead. Like, you know, like usually you want that. So, so, so the apocalypse, again, this is the nature of pain. It so dominates our focus that we think, ah, you know, Gogu Magog, the, the, the apocalypse, a great war, or whatever it is. And we don't realize even, not only doesn't it have to happen in the way that it's predicted, because none of the negative stuff does, but if it does happen, even that is really the subset of the real headline, which is the arrival of Mashiach ben David, which is the arrival of the Messianic era. In other words, even in its full-blown grandest sense, the apocalypse is just a step leading up to the perfection of the world, the redemption of the world. And so, so the reason why most people don't think of it in those terms is because of the nature of pain. Because pain just, just narrows our focus so radically. And once we're in that state, we can't think beyond that. So what I'm trying to tell you and again, we're talking about Tisha B'Av, is that Tisha B'Av and all of, the, all of the pain that that is, is really not the headline. It's, 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 it's a step 
leading up to the perfection of the world. And, and that's what it is. It's not that, oh, everything kind of just grinds to ruination. And that's why Tisha B'Av itself, in the deepest way, reflects this quality. Because while Tisha B'Av today is a, a, a day of mourning, nonetheless, Hashem has promised us through the Navi Zechariah that it will be the greatest holiday of the year. And so that essence is contained within Tisha B'Av simultaneously. And that will be released. Now, I had a thought, <clears throat> specifically regarding Shabbos Chazon. Shabbos Chazon is the name of the Shabbos, which always precedes Tisha B'Av. And it's, 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 it's a day where Chazon means to have like a vision, right? And, and that, that name of, 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 of the Shabbos, it comes from the Haftorah. The Haftorah that we read begins with the word Chazon. So, so, so the rabbis say that, that, if, 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 that one can achieve on the Shabbos before Tisha B'Av a vision of the third base HaMikdash, a vision of the ultimate redemption that will take place. And the classic, the classic explanation um, of this dynamic of, of Shabbos Chazon, the Shabbos of vision, is given by the Berdichever Rebbe, who says that, um, that it's, it's analogous to a, a father and a son, and the father gives the, the son a, a beautiful set of clothing, and the son is, is too young, he doesn't know how to treat it right, he goes out and he plays in it and he rips it. And he comes back to the father and the father says, okay, here's an, another set of clothing. You know, this will replace it. It's a, another beautiful set of clothing. And the son goes out and he plays in that and he rips that also. And then the son comes back and the father presents him with a third beautiful set of clothing. And he says, but you know something, I'm just, I'm going to let you see it. But I'm just going to hang it here in the closet. And when you're old enough to know how to treat it properly then you can have it. And that's the third Beis HaMikdash. That's the third Holy Temple. Hashem has given it to us. It's there, but we don't have access to it yet until we can get it together interpersonally. Then, then we'll receive it. And I heard Reb Shlomo say that when Mashiach comes, we'll see with our own eyes that the third Beis HaMikdash, the third Holy Temple, was always there. That it was always there. And I, I heard from Rabbi Aaron, David Aaron, that, you know, Alpi Kabbalah, that when the world reached its full state of fixing, we'll realize that we never left the Garden of Eden. Wow. It's a, a, similar, a similar idea. A similar idea. But, you know, these things really, if you think about it, aren't so abstract and aren't so hard to fathom if you imagine that God fills the entire world, if God who loves us, who keeps the world going, who keeps each one of us going, is as present right now around us as he ever was and ever will be, then is it really so strange that, 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 that he's been there all along? In other words, that, that we never left the Garden of Eden. Now, again there's been a lot of suffering and there are a lot of veils concealing God's presence or God's omnipresence. But nonetheless, the, the, the logic behind these teachings is, is very solid because God is here right now.
And so, and so, we have the end of the story, which we can't lose sight of. And the, the pain and the suffering, which Tisha B'Av symbolizes more than anything else, can't become the headline. It can't become the headline. And it's so easy for it to become the headline, because again, the nature of suffering is to narrow our focus and to give us tunnel vision on just all the pain and all the limitedness that's going on in front of us and in our lives and in the world right now. And it cuts off this grander ability to see the larger picture, which is in progress. And <clears throat> I want to, again, I'm, I want to get to this idea of Shabbos, but continue to build toward it, because I want to share um, something that I saw from the Chernobyl Rebbe. I, I believe that he was quoting the Zohar. It's in Meora Inayim, um, about... Uh, about about the nature of Tisha B'Av. Now, there are 365 days in the solar year, and there are 365 negative prohibitions in the Torah. In other words, we have 613 mitzvot, commandments in the Torah, and they're divided up in these things that we're supposed to do and these things we're, we're supposed to refrain from doing. And the division is 365 and 248. So 365 is a very interesting number to have as, the, the, as one large category of mitzvot since that correlates with the solar days of the year. <clears throat> now just as an aside, but we're going to get back to this, it's, it's very important that you know that the, that the Jewish calendar is not lunar. It's lunar and solar. Um, the, the uh, Islamic calendar is purely lunar. And as a result, you see that the month of Ramadan can appear any time during the year. We have, as one of our uh, 613 commandments, we have a, a specific commandment that Pesach, Passover, has to happen during the springtime. And if it's to happen in the springtime, that means that the lunar calendar has to be tied to the solar calendar. Now, hashkafically, philosophically, that's very meaningful to me because the reason is because you have this universality. In other words, we're incorporating the sun and the moon in terms of our outlook. It's not just about one or the other because that broad, sweeping, all-encompassing vision is part and parcel of the way the Torah operates on every single level, no matter what field it's discussing. It's always taking the broadest, most far out vision and applying it to the specifics. So even the calendar incorporates both the sun and the moon. Now, you might think if there's 600, if there's 365 days in the year and 365 of this category of mitzvot, there's probably a correlation for each day, one of the mitzvot. Now to my mind, that, that book doesn't exist. Or, um, I, I haven't heard of it, that it exists. However, the rabbis point to certain days of the calendar where they can tell you what day that correlates with that mitzvah. And so the Chernobyl Rebbe brings down what commandment correlates with Tisha B'Av, 
And when you first hear it, it might sound a little bit odd, like, huh, I wouldn't have thought that. But when you hear the thinking behind it, you go, oh, wow, yeah, that's really compelling. Which is, we have a commandment not to eat the gid hanasha, which is the sciatic nerve of an animal. This is why um, you rarely see in kosher restaurants uh, filet mignon on the menu, because that's right where the sciatic nerve of an animal is. And so that should be, um, uh, they, they can, you can get kosher filet mignon, but it's expensive because there's a lot of extra work that has to go to get at that nerve. So um, don't order filet mignon. <laughs> On the most practical level. Unless you're in a kosher restaurant. But um, anyway, if you're not, have the fish. <laughs> Um, so, so, so why, why the sciatic nerve in Tishabov? So where does that commandment, where does that prohibition not to eat the sciatic nerve come from? So when Yaakov, when Jacob, our father, was wrestling with the angel, and we know that that was the, the archangel of Esav, which stands for the Yitzhahara of the evil inclination. So he was battling evil. And it says that the angel hurt him in that area. And as a result, that's why we don't eat from that area. Meaning the Gidanusha, the, the, the sciatic nerve. Now, interestingly, it says that when he arose, the sunlight healed him. So it all gets better in the end. And of course, the sunlight represents redemption. And the night represents exile. So, so, so Jacob has another name, which is Israel. And so the, 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 this sciatic nerve, which gets damaged during the night, during the, during the exile, represents that part of Israel, the Jewish people who have been injured during the exile. And so what's the heart of our injury during the exile? Tishabav, the ninth of Av, that's the headquarters. And so that's why that day, Tishabav correlates with that prohibition. That one out of the 365 correlates with that day out of the 365. Not to eat this part which represents our enemies damaging us. Because why would you want to have enjoyment from our destruction? So, so that's, that's, that's a, very telling, a very telling correlation. And now it builds to the point that I want to make now. Because here you see the interrelationship between the mitzvot and time and space. Remember, our tradition is that God looked into the Torah and created the world. And the Talmud says that the Torah existed 974 generations before the world was created. And we have to understand always what that means. That it doesn't mean that before the world was created, it doesn't mean that there was a Torah scroll floating up in the, in the, in the, in the sky. Because there was no time or space. So, so that would be a very silly uh, explanation of, 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 of what that means. What it, the Torah is God's will for the world. That means that before God created the world, 
he had a will for the world. It's not like he said, see, a lot of people, they, and this comes from just lack of education and lack of thinking. You know, like as though God created this world and he said, okay, don't eat from the tree of knowledge. And then we ate from the tree of knowledge and he goes, oh, now what? Oh, okay, well, I don't know what to do now. Kind of rolled the dice on that one. I guess it didn't work out. Well, I guess they'll work it out. And then, you know, <laughs> and then he created Tahiti and took a vacation there, right? You know, it's like, what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Like, God, God who made, like, the most complex, exceedingly complex, unimaginably complex thing that nothing compares to the universe, for goodness sakes. You know, you could just point to any category of how exceedingly complex each molecule is, each atom is, each anything is. And, 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 and God didn't have a, a plan for this? Or he had like a, a hope that it's going to work out on this, and then as soon as it didn't work out, which was basically immediately, by the way, <laughs> that, that there was no plan B? And by the way, the fact that we ate from the tree of knowledge, many people think that that was part of the plan, by the way. So that, that's, a, a, that's another you know, thing to consider. So, so, so God, before he created, this is what it means that the Torah existed before the world existed. That, God, that God's will, because the Torah is God's will, that's his, as, as Rip Shlomo put it so beautifully and poetically, that, that the Ten Commandments are God's dreams for the world. And that when we, when we keep the mitzvot, we, we dream God's dreams and we pray God's prayers. That's an, that's an awesome teaching. That's an awesome teaching. When we keep the Torah, we dream God's dreams and we pray God's prayers. That's, 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 that's the highest. That's, that's unbelievable. And so, so the idea is that God had a will, a desire for the world before the world was created. And then even deeper than that, he took that desire and structured the world out of that desire, tailor-made to that desire. He took his will for the world Right? That's the Torah as it existed before the world was created. He took his will for the world, and from his will, he made the world, he shaped the world out of, the, out of his will for the world, so that the world correlates with his desire for it, and is made out of his desire for it. That's what it means when it says that God created the world out of the Hebrew letters. And if we understand the letters as, as, as energies, if you want to think of it in a, in a physics standpoint, each one is a different energy frequency. But, but deeper than that, it's that each, each of the letters is, 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 is enabling another aspect of his will to become concretized in this world. And so the Torah itself and the mitzvot of the Torah itself literally become a blueprint for the world, because they are a telling of God's will for the world, out of which God created the world. I hope that I'm communicating. I hope that I'm communicating.
So I'll give you an example that's, so that you'll understand what I'm saying in a very practical way. So the famous example is that we don't have the mitzvah of tefillin because we have an arm. Okay, I gave them an arm. I got to do something with their arms. Ah, I'll give them tefillin. No. God had the mitzvah of tefillin and he created our arm for the tefillin. So that's, that's again this idea. It's one perspective. It's just one, one level. But it's an idea of the primacy of the mitzvot and how the world was shaped in order to fit God's desire for the world. That's just one, one example. Um, okay, so now with that in mind, I want to tell you a, a new thought for me and um, sharing it for the first time, but it, it just it, it, it made me really happy when, 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 uh, when I figured this out. So, so there's a very, very beautiful teaching. One of my favorite teachings in, of all of uh, Torah, and it goes like this. It says that, that Sunday has a soulmate, and the soulmate for Sunday is Monday. And Tuesday has a soulmate, and the soulmate of Tuesday is Wednesday. And Thursday has a soulmate, the soulmate of Thursday is Friday. Now, that leaves out Shabbos, right? Remember, because there's seven days of the week. So if they're all going to pair off, that leaves you three couples and someone's left out in the cold, right? So, so Shabbos has no one. So Shabbos says to God, who's going to be my soulmate? And God says, your soulmate is going to be the Jewish people. Now that's, that's a beautiful teaching. That's a, a beautiful, I mean, that just, you hear that, for me anyway, it just resonates. But I, somehow, I, I, I saw it again yesterday, and I thought to myself, wait a second, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? Like, it's very beautiful, but what does it mean? Like, and, and, and somehow, I heard, I don't know if you heard this, but what I heard was that, the Jewish people's soulmate is Shabbos. That's what I heard. But that's not exactly what it said. I mean, that was included in the teaching, but that's not what drove the teaching. What drove the teaching was that Shabbos was left out in the cold and Shabbos desired a soulmate and then the Jewish people were selected to be the soulmate for Shabbos. So then I thought, oh, wait, wait a second. If that's what's driving the teaching, that Shabbos wants a soulmate, is Shabbos a man or a woman that it, that it needs a, a husband or a wife? <laughs> right? Like, what does that mean? That, 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 what does it mean even from the beginning of the teaching that Monday has a, Sunday and Monday are a couple? Are, are they people that they need to be married to each other? And that Shabbos is left out in the cold? And, 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 and Shabbos is desiring a soulmate? It's Shabbos is a, is a day. It's not a person. And then I went, whoa, okay, now I'm getting it. Wow, this is really deep. What is Shabbos? Shabbos is the redemption of the world. Right? As, as, as we 
said already, Shabbos, the, the Messianic period, is called the day that will be all Shabbos, Yom Shekulo Shabbos. That means from the very beginning of creation, when God made Shabbos, what God did was he implanted the end of days, he implanted the completion of the story of all of creation has already been implanted from the very start in creation. And the end of days, the perfection of the world itself, time and space itself, because the perfection of the world has been embedded in time and space. The perfection of the world itself, which exists, which is part of creation, which is waiting for us, is longing to be realized. Perfection is longing to be realized. And it's all alone. And it says to God, when am I going to be revealed to the world? The six days of the week, the mundane, the material aspect of the world has been revealed. They all have their couples. They all have been completed. But what about me? What about the perfection of the world? What about the end of days? What about the completion of all this, which exists, which is here right now, which is waiting? What is going to reveal me? And God says, the Jewish people are going to reveal you. You are going to become revealed between, from them, from the light that they put into the world, or they reflect off me and put into the world. And that's what it means that Shabbos and the Jewish people are soulmates. That's what it means that Shabbos itself is like dangling out there in the middle of nowhere. Not revealed yet. Not complete yet. Not with its couple yet. And is asking God, when am I going to be completed and revealed? And how is it going to happen? And that's the project of the entire world. And we all have a share in it. We all have a share in it. It's not just the Jewish people. Everybody has a mitzvah in the Torah. If God, could it be, I mean, it's so, you know, as much as it's understandable to think of the world, well, they're, they're Jews and they're Christians and they're Muslims and they're Buddhists and every. it's true on one level. Of course it's true. Of course it's true but just on one level. On a deeper level, God who created the universe, who created all of us, we're all of his children, and everyone has a share in the Torah. Everyone has a share in the Torah. And so this is, this is the evolution of the world that we're experiencing. Where, where, where this path, this structure, which exists is slowly, 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 slowly becoming revealed. And when we do this, when we marry Shabbos, so to speak, when we marry Shabbos, we're saying, you know, this is, this is what it is. There's a purpose to this world. There's a journey to this world. There's a, there's a mission for all of us. And all the pain, all the tishabubs that are, that are leading up, or the war of Gogu Magog, which is just a precursor to Mashiach coming. Tishabub itself, which is a great holiday underneath, inside. 
All of this is just the unfolding of time and space. But that the end has already been implanted. It just has to be revealed. Okay, I'll stop here. Uh, I was out of bullets there. I didn't want to rev up the engine again.